0: Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include economic forecasting, Rob Chrisman on FHFA and Jenny May's joint announcement, other updated minimum financial eligibility requirements for seller servicers and issuers, and a look at how economic data released last week does little to support the case that the U.S. economy is currently in a recession. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and banking. To learn more, visit richiemay.com. John Kenneth Galbraith said, the only function of economic forecasting is to make astrology look respectable. How about forecasts of how dramatic this downturn has been for residential lenders and related third parties? What is making the headlines these days are companies that are not reducing their workforce, since on the flip side, nearly every lender, large and small, are having layoffs, as well as many vendors from small to large, like ICE's cutbacks in the mortgage group, which had operating losses for the second quarter of $6 million. What about what's going on behind the scenes? Stratmore partner Jim Cameron notes in his latest piece, while the industry struggles with downsizing, correspondent investors are seeing a greater incidence of manufacturing defects as loans are delivered to them. The industry is originating harder-to-do loans, and lenders are cutting staff, which is not a great combination. For today's interview, I wanted to bring back onto the show Rob Chrisman to talk about how FHFA and Ginny Mae jointly announced updated minimum financial eligibility requirements for seller servicers and issuers. So last week, FHFA and Ginny Mae issued a joint announcement of their updated minimum financial eligibility requirements for seller servicers and issuers. Can you explain kind of what they did, why they did it?
1: Sure. It's important for those groups to tell the industry what they think is important, what their minimum requirements are especially in this kind of environment where many of the smaller lenders out there who have been selling to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or have been issuing Ginnie Mae securities are facing tough times and so for the agencies to come out and establish those in black and white it gives companies something to shoot for and frankly the changes really don't impact that many companies but if you're Quote on the bubble, a smaller company who's been making money, losing money, making money, losing money, losing money, losing money. You know, it's been a rough year, rough quarters, rough months. It gives you something firm to deal with when dealing with the agencies. And it's also a reminder for smaller lenders or any lenders. To be sure to be in contact with their counterparties, not necessarily just Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or HUD or Ginny Mae, but also broker dealers and warehouse banks to say, look, you know, we're having a tough time, everyone's having a tough time. Here's our performance. Here's what we've done to change things. Here's where we think we're gonna be in a month or two. And so keeping that communication open is very important in this environment. Can
0: you explain why seller servicers are lumped together? Seller slash servicers, I don't want to make people think they're the same thing.
1: Mainly because you're looking for financial strength in your counterparty. And as Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, or if you're servicing FHA VA loans, those institutions want to make sure that you're strong and you have retained earnings. And generally, the requirements are the same whether you're selling to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac and have to potentially buy back loans or whether you're servicing Ginny Mae securities, in which case, if a loan goes bad, you will have to pony up the money initially. You eventually get paid back, but there is a period of time where you are required to deal with the uh, deal with the shortfall. And so those institutions just want to make sure that it's they're dealing with a strong entity and the financial requirements for both are relatively similar seller servicer. So they do get lumped in together. Basically anybody who's dealing with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac.
0: Is this going to negatively affect Many companies, or the companies that are that no longer meet these eligibility requirements, they were uh barely treading water in the first place.
1: I think it'll impact a, a minority of lenders, smaller companies who were selling to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and now may have to sell to AmeriHome, Wells, Chase, US Bank the other course, you know, correspondence on a servicing-released basis. Typically, the smaller companies, even the larger companies to some extent, when they sell to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they are either going to retain servicing or do some type of co-issue execution where the asset goes to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the servicing goes to a co-issue servicing buyer. And so now they're... Dealing with companies that buy the asset and the servicing at the same time, namely AmeriHome, PennyMac, Wells Fargo, Chase, Citi, U.S. Bank, the other correspondent investors.
0: This is meant to improve the safety and soundness of the the U.S. mortgage-backed security ecosystem. Has the has the actual MBS become a more attractive asset since the? great recession due to things like Dodd Frank or or CFPB rules is is, is it now more as the pricing improved as a result of any of this in in market
1: i would say that investors have a much greater comfort level when buying mortgage backed securities than they did in 2006 2008 2010 Dodd Frank and the CFPB and some of the other requirements and regulations that have been put in place really do help investors have a greater comfort level with counterparty risk and the ability to repay even though it's a pain in the neck for originators it helps investors as i said have a greater comfort that the mortgage-backed security or the whole loan that they're buying isn't some kind of stretch and the buyer has the ability to repay. And that goes a long way with regard to credit quality. Finally,
0: how is the scheduling of changes by FHFA or the agencies changed over the years?
1: That's a good question. Nobody likes surprises. Investors don't like surprises. Lenders don't like surprises, especially when they have software in place that needs to be changed. And so, I think the MBA and other organizations have worked with FHFA, HUD, and others to make sure that any changes that come up have enough advance notice to give the MI companies, the lenders, the vendors, and so forth enough lead time to make those changes and prepare for them and test them. And I think that has been a big help in uh, in the last year or so to to make sure that that message gets through to. The agencies. It's been a good thing.
0: Agreed. Thanks for the time. You're welcome. Last week's economic data did little to support the case that the U.S. economy is currently in a recession. While headline retail sales were flat in July, that was influenced heavily by a sharp decline in gasoline prices, which allowed consumers to spend in other areas. The decline in gasoline has continued into August, with prices down about 11% month-to-date. As record-high pandemic-era household savings decline, the pace of consumer spending will depend on the labor market. The recent uptick in initial jobless claims paused for the week ending August 12th as they edged down to 250000 Home price appreciation is finally starting to ease, with prices up 10.8% over the last year in July versus 15% in February. Housing affordability remains an issue, with record-high prices, and mortgage rates nearly double where they were a year ago. As a result, single-family building permits fell for the fifth month in a row in July as builders pulled back on new projects. Housing starts plummeted 9.6% in July to an annualized pace of $1.446 million as higher prices and reduced affordability left potential buyers on the sidelines. Slowing residential construction may prove a headwind for growth in the coming quarters. Despite the housing cooldown, Consumers are still spending, as evidenced by the 0.8% increase in core retail sales. Additionally, industrial production rose 0.6% in July, as motor vehicle and parts manufacturing picked up steam. Markets have been seesawing with each new report, and last week was no exception. The slightly stronger-than-expected economic data pushed up expectations for a 75-basis point rate hike in September, while the minutes released from the last FOMC meeting brought them back in favor of 50 basis points. The minutes highlighted the internal debate at the Fed around aggressively fighting inflation versus the worry that they could tighten more than needed to achieve the goal of price stability. This week includes the $126 billion in month-end fixed coupon supply to be auctioned over tomorrow through Thursday, and updates on regional Fed surveys, S&P Global PMIs, new home sales, durable goods, pending home sales, the second look at Q2 GDP, and Fed Chair Powell's Jackson Hole appearance where pushback on forward curve pricing would not be surprising. The week gets off to a slow start, with the only data point today being the Chicago Fed National Activity Index for July. Regarding mortgage-backed securities, the New York Fed will purchase up to $169 million of UMBS 15, 3.5%, and 4% this morning, and we begin the day with agency MBS prices, roughly unchanged from Friday, and the 10-year yielding 2.97 after closing last week at 2.99%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. What did the surgeon say to the patient who insisted on closing up their own incision? Suit yourself. (laughs) Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking.